Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we are going to talk about mentorship in the localization industry and I have invited my colleague Stephen Lang, who is very passionate about helping peers in this industry. Stephen Lang is the CEO of Denver-based Cisco Linguistic Services. He has worked in the industry since 1987, first as a translator and project manager, subsequently holding senior management positions in the U.S., Ireland, and Spain. He chaired the initial committee responsible for ASTM International's F2575 Standard Guide for Quality Assurance and Translation and is currently the technical contact for the update. He teaches in the University of Maryland's Graduate Studies in Interpreting and Translation program and proudly serves on the Association of Language Companies Bridge Committee and as a mentor in the ATA mentoring program. Steve earned an MA in Spanish Translation and Interpreting from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Stephen, welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to talk to you. Please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us what you do. Okay. Um, well, my name is Steve Lank, and I am the CEO of Chesco Linguistic Services. It's based in Denver, Colorado, um, though I work myself remotely from Washington, D.C. And the company, we do a full range of translation, interpreting, and training services with an emphasis on public sector needs related to language access. And I actually just moved into the CEO role in October, so I'm just kind of finding my feet at the moment, but I love the challenge, and it seems like sort of a natural progression for me after 35 years working in the industry, so I'm, I'm excited. So how did you find yourself in this industry? Uh, can you give us some background? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I've, you know, I've always loved language. I, I started studying uh, Spanish uh, when I was in the seventh grade. Of course, in the U.S., you start studying language later than in a lot of other places, but I was immediately drawn to it. I had, I had great teachers in sort of middle school and high school who encouraged that. Um, and I knew I, was, I just I knew I wanted to do something with language, but I wasn't sure what that was because there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of talk, you know, when I was back back in school about translation and how that worked. Um, so it was, you know, I, I ended up studying Spanish when I went, went went to the University of Virginia for my undergrad, and it wasn't really until I went to study abroad. I studied in Valencia, Spain, in junior year in in college, where it really clicked for me that language was something that you could that you could work with and and have a career with, right? That that you could really make it a part of your a part of your life. So after I got back from that, I sort of I hounded one of my professors into sort of agreeing to do an independent study with me in translation. Of course, the translation part was all literary, but like that's kind of the entree that you have for translation, at least at the time for me back when I was studying in school. Um, and that was great. And and then after after school, I uh, that kind of lit my fuse for you know the study of language and translation in particular. Um, and then after uh, after graduation, I got married, my wife and I moved back to Spain, um, where I started to dabble. I mean, I did what most Americans do when you're abroad. Um, as a young person, I was teaching English, um, but then I started to dabble a, a little bit in freelance translation, really loved that. But um, it was just, you know, one day that at the institute where I was teaching, um, I came across a, uh, a brochure from the Monterey Institute of International Studies in Monterey, California. Um, and it, that was the first time I'd ever seen a program that was offered for translation and interpreting studies. I didn't realize they existed. Um, so I, I applied there um, and I, I still have the picture of myself standing in my living room in Valencia with my acceptance letter in my hand. So that was a big day for me. Um, and it was it's sort of all been it's all been great from there. I've been working, you know, since I went to school at the Institute, I have been working steadily in the industry since then. So I've, I've been working for 35 years. And so. Um, I, I haven't looked. I'm, I'm a lucky. I'm a lucky person. I realize because not everybody <laughs> gets to gets to work in the field that they study. But that's that's me. I've been able to do that. Uh, you know your observations. Uh, given the amount of time that you've spent in this industry and you've seen it from different angles, what has stood out to you as a major as major changes and evolutions in this industry? How did it transform itself over the years? Uh, well, that's that's a that's a big question, and that's kind of worthy <laughs> of a podcast of its own, I'd say. But you know, obviously, there's the growing role of technology. That's an obvious one. Um, when I started out, we were still delivering projects via FedEx. Um, we were looking up translators in a hard copy of the ATA directory. 
Uh, we were still calling people on landlines. I still remember the the first email when we first got email in the company, and and at that time it was just one email address for the entire company. So technology right. has done a lot to sort of speed things along and to sort of help the the the, the um, industry evolve. You know, both in good ways and bad ways, right? I mean, it's it's sort of eased a lot of things, but it's also complicated others. Um, now with the expectation that we're sort of all available 24 7 365 so um that's a little bit frustrating to deal with but technology has been a great um evolution but also i've noticed as the industry's grown that um we've evolved away a little bit i think from people knowing what knowing the entire project life cycle we've i think a lot of in, in the industry as the industry has gotten bigger we've gotten siloed translators or translators project managers or project managers you know and, and, and things like that not everybody really knows how things you know, work from soup to nuts, right? Um, and I think that's right. a shame because I think that, you know, the, 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 the best people that we have in the industry working are the ones who understand the thing from the beginning to end. But I see that now being corrected a bit. Um, more and more, you see more and more TNI programs that are offering tracks in project management, which I think is a nice change. Um, and it's certainly something that I wish that I'd had because, you know, when I came out of school, I, I, I had my translation and interpreting skills, but I didn't have the other skills that you kind of need to work. Um, but I would say that for me, the biggest change that I've that I've noticed um, over the years that I've been working is the change in the US market, right? So right. in the 90s, when I was starting out to work, we were doing most of our work for export um, and in the usual European and, and Asian languages, right? So we're, in other words, we were helping American companies sell their products and services abroad. And then I went to Europe for eight years at the beginning of um, the 2000s. And I came back in 2008 and when at that time, the you know there was a big chunk of the work all of a sudden that we were doing that was being uh, done for the cons for consumption in the U.S. Right. So, right. Um, and I now I would say that was probably about 50-50 at that time. But now what we're doing right you know in my current company is about 80-20 I would say for domestic consumption, and that's in languages um, of the languages of immigration. So these are languages that the U.S. educational system does not necessarily address. So we have a big you know we have our work cut out for us there as an industry to help address the need for the languages that are required on the US market at, at the time, at, at this time. It's interesting, Steve, that you mentioned that at the beginning you had no clue which direction to go because there's, it, this industry is so big right. um, and, and there's it's so little talked about that it, it's hard to determine which direction you should be taking. And and actually, that's something that uh, I wanted to talk to you about today, which is the our topic of conversation for this podcast episode. Uh, I know this is very important to you, too, and you, know, you always talk about this. So, Steve, please tell me what is mentorship and... Uh, if you had it, how would it, it helped you back then and why today it is needed in our industry? Um, well, <laughs> a lot of questions there built into that one. I, you know, for me, mentorship and teaching go together. So, you know, you can be working one on one with somebody you can work, be working in a classroom. Right. And to me, mentorship and, and, and teaching professionals, teaching other new professionals is all about helping these new professionals enter the industry with the skills and the knowledge that they need to succeed. Um, and to help the industry grow and to be recognized as a profession that it is. We struggle to be recognized um, as an industry, as a profession. And so part of, of mentorship is to help new professionals come in and recognize it for what it is and, and to succeed, right? Um, and to work with best practices and to follow standards and things like that, rather than sort of just going off on their own to try to figure it out, because that's not good for anybody. Um, and, you know, while most programs, TNI programs, you know, both in the US and abroad are very good at teaching and training for translation and interpreting skills. It's the business side um, of things, the marketing, the market realities, part the soft skills that new, new professionals often lack and that they can only really get from people who have been working in the industry. So, because otherwise they just stumble till they find their footing. That's not good for the industry writ large, right? In terms of being taken seriously. Um, some argue, I mean, some people that I've argued uh, that, that will argue that that by doing this, you're basically training your competition um, that, you know, people will say, well, we found our way on our own. We didn't have this. So why, you know, they should, too. But I think that's wrongheaded. Um, in my mind, the pie is big. There's a lot of right. work out there. Um, and by helping others, we help ourselves. And if we model the best practices to new professionals, that is what we'll start to see out in the world rather than the sort of wild, wild west anything goes mentality that we so often see. Um, and what I always tell my students um, and, my, and my, my mentees is that 
Um, if you want to be taken seriously yourself, you have you first have to take yourself seriously. Um, so if we want to be taken seriously as a profession, we have to help to ensure that those that are entering the profession know the ropes, the, know the ropes, know the ropes, and act accordingly, right? Because if we want the uh, profession to grow and thrive, um, that can't be done in a vacuum. People need help doing that, just like in other professions. We're not, you know, we're, we're not any different than any other profession where people are coming in and, and need support. Um, and by helping others, we're, we're actually helping ourselves. So, Steve, tell me about your own mentorship experience when you were actually learning about the business side of things. Uh, who did you reach out to for help? Uh, what type of information did you get? Was it relevant? and or, or did you have to go through associations like Gala or some other big one in order to find the right people? Well, when I was starting out, there were the, the, the sort of like the, sort of the big association was ATA, and I didn't really know a lot about that at the time. But I was, you know, I was very, very fortunate to be able to attend the Monterey Institute. Right? There's a lot. There's a lot of great professionals there, um, and I got excellent, excellent, excellent training. But in terms of a mentor, I did have one. I didn't recognize her a mentor her as a mentor at the time. But looking back, I, I would definitely say that she was. This is my very first boss in the industry, Valeska uh, Ostrowski Van Fleet. She was a my first boss, as I said, I worked with her as an intern first when I was going to the Institute at Omega International. That was her company. Um, and she taught me everything about the industry and the project lifecycle and managing clients and partners, the whole deal. Um, and she insisted that I learn all the steps in the cycle, even the ones that I wasn't responsible for, because in her mind um, and in mine now, it was it's really the only way to be able to completely manage a project and anticipate where things might go wrong. Right. So in other words, to be proactive rather than reactive. And that has served me tremendously well throughout my career. Um, and believe me, uh, I screwed up a lot at the beginning and I still do from time to time. You know, I'm, I'm only human. Um, but she didn't let that detract from her mission of sort of mold, molding me into a competent PM. I mean, coincidentally, I was also her first employee. So she did all of this for me at a time while she was dealing with a really steep learning curve herself. But this was a small company. It was um, herself. Uh, and her partner and me as their first employee doing all this work. So they really needed somebody who was going to be able to plug in. Um, and I stayed there for 10 years. I ultimately became a minority partner in that company. Um, and I've learned something super helpful and meaningful from every subsequent boss that I've had. But it really was Valeska, um, who was the one that gave me the solid foundation that's allowed me to have such a long career. So I'm really grateful to her. Our industry is, as you know, uh, undergoing a generational shift. There's a lot of uh, millennials joining and they are, you know, looking for mentorship. And I believe that without passing the baton to the new generation in a systematic way, we can't expect a smooth transition. How do you think, Steve, mentorship can play a role? Here? Well, this is exactly what mentorship is designed to do, right? It's to bring people right. into the profession in a way um, that they can be successful and in a way that they will not only survive, but thrive. And so if, if they survive and thrive, so does the industry survive and thrive. And so we owe it to ourselves and to the ne this next generation of professionals to do that. Um, they don't know what they don't know, so we have to help them. Um, and if we want the profession to thrive and to, um, and, and, and to be taken seriously, we need to make sure that the people that are entering know the ropes and know how things should be done, not just the way they would do them themselves or the way they want to do them or the way they figured it out on their own, but to sort of follow best practices. And you can't know what best practices are by stumbling around, right? You need you need support. And so we owe it to, right. to ourselves and the profession to do that. Let's look at the role of uh, the mentor and the mentee. What actually defines a good mentor uh, in, in localization or translation? What qualities and traits must they possess in order to mentor somebody well? Well, I think I think, you know, obviously uh, you need to know your stuff, right? You need to sort of love your job and um, and love your work and sort of want to pass that passion along. But I think the real key qualities in a good mentor are, is our are, are openness and flexibility, because if you can only see your way of doing things, if it's your way or the highway, it's not going to work. You, know, you have to sort of, you have to meet your mentee or your student where they are and craft your advice and instruction in a way that's accessible to them, that they can understand and apply to their own situation. And that's going to differ from person to person, which is the part that attracts me to to mentoring and teaching. I love that challenge. Um, I love um you know, seeing the people that are they're different myself that have a, a different approach to the work or a different approach, just in general, that that I might have, and figuring out ways that I can help them succeed, even though what what their ultimate goals are, they might be different than mine. 
um, or their approach might be different than mine, but there's 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 a way that you can find to sort of help them along to sort of follow their own path while at the same time learning how you know the, the basics of the industry and 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 how 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 to navigate all of the challenges. And to me, that's that's you can you can only do that if you're open to seeing alternative ways and alternative perspectives um, about how things should be handled. Because just because you did something one way doesn't mean it's the only way to do it or, or the way that person's going to be successful. But So what you need to do is find out what it is about that person that sort of motivates them and makes them tick and figure out a way that you can sort of instill that knowledge and 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 pass on that advice to them in a way that that is accessible to them let's talk about outcomes when it comes to mentorship what do you get out of mentorship as a mentor what is your goal what do you want to achieve at the end well i i just I, well first of all i mean i just love helping people i mean i think that's why we're all here ultimately is to help others i mean otherwise you're just right. by yourself but i get a ton out of mentoring i you know it's i tell people like it's sort of it gives me sort of you know, it, it revitalizes to me. It sort of it gives me oxygen to work with people who are just starting out, who are super enthusiastic about the profession, um, and it's also deeply satisfying to be able to help someone and to succeed in 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 the profession. I love the industry. I love the work, and I want others to love it too. But when you're doing your day-to-day -day work, I mean, I've been working for like a long time, as I told you, 35 plus years. Sometimes you can lose lose track of uh, what it is you love about the work that you do. And I think working as a mentor helps remind me um, of what brought me to the industry in the first place. So there's a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of you know excitement for the future and things like that that you get when you're working with with you know a mentee. And and, and sometimes sometimes there are people that are coming that are fresh and new to the industry. Sometimes there are people that are making a career change. Maybe some older people that are having a career change or people that have been working in the industry that are. That, that are just looking for some support or are taking a new direction. So it can take many forms, but it always, I think the enthusiasm part of it um, that you get back from the mentee and sort of their, you know, anticipation of what's to come is exciting. And it, and it, and it sort of revitalizes my own, revives my own passion for the work that I do. Because as I said, sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're in the thick of it, like I told you, I had a computer crash this morning when you're dealing with the day-to-day drudgery sometimes of <laughs> what your work is you forget sometimes what you love about your work and i think working with mentees really helps that for me the purpose of knowledge is to be shared because we are collectivisms and we do things collectively and, and if we don't share and transfer that knowledge the, then that's useless knowledge that's basically junk when it comes to mentorship and you're passing on that knowledge to other people what type of satisfaction do you get out of it uh, uh, what type of satisfaction do i get out of it that's right um, when you when you see someone actually taking your knowledge and doing something with it oh it's it's tremendously sat it's satisfying you know I, it's I, I love to hear success stories from my former mentees who said oh you know you told me this thing a while back and I, I did this and it worked or, um, you know, just to just to sort of like hear that, that that some of the advice that you gave has actually been applied. I've had mentees who have been, you know, studying for a certification exam and I've helped them figure out ways to, to best study for it. And then they've passed. And that's that's hugely satisfying. Obviously, they're the ones that sat for the exam, but but you have some kind of connection to that or they've won new business or they've been struggling to to grow their business and you give them some some um, some pointers about how they might attract new business or ways different ways of networking or or things like that that things that they haven't thought about before that have helped them grow their business and that to me is tremendously satisfying. Um, it's nice to know that as a person who's you know you know let's like you said that knowledge that's not shared is just is is pointless. There's you know why do it? But like you know some of what I do is pretty old school still. I mean I've I've I, you know, there's some, some things just work all the time. Um, and it's nice to know that those that those things can still work and um, and that you have that I have younger people that I'm working with that appreciate that and that have can apply it and, and make it work for them. So that to me is it's tremendously satisfying. As a mentee, how and where should you look to find a mentor for translation and localization sector? You can find a you can find a mentor anywhere, really. I mean, you just have to keep your eyes open. I think, you know, as you go about your, your networking, whether that's online or in person, you can just keep an eye out for people that you click with or who you admire or, or like if you're, you're following them in in some capacity on social media you can and, and you, you reach out to people i mean if you see people often enough you can just ultimately reach out to them and talk to them and see how they might be able to help you or if they're interested 
Um, also, um, if you're studying in a program, you know, you reach out to a professor that you admire or somebody that you've seen who um, has been particularly helpful or whose approach to the work you uh, you appreciate, that person might be able to help you. Also, there's, you know, industry organizations, many industry organizations will be able to connect you with somebody um, that you could um, be paired with to, as, as, as a mentee. ACA has a wonderful program. I actually have been working and um, participating in that program for a number of years now, and I love it. Um, and their program, um, I think they take applications for their program um, starting in January. I think the application process for that goes from January to March. So I would, I would encourage people who are interested in, in doing that, um, in, in working with a mentor, um, to to apply to the to the ATA program because because you can it doesn't have it, it can be about whatever it is that you're looking for you fill out this application you, and you tell them what it is you're trying to improve in your practice whether it's language specific whether it's about growing your business or what specific um, challenge you have and then they will pair you with somebody based on that and I I think it's a terrific program so I would encourage people to reach out. Um, to ATA for that as well. Steve, time is a limiting factor for all of us. Uh, what kind of value should both the mentor and the mentee associate with their time as an investment? What should they get out of it? Well, I think I think just like anything else, Sultan, like you you get you get you get out what you put in, right? Right. Um, right. It's be, it's best to have a goal in mind. You can't go in with the idea that it's going to be like you, you need to put some structure around it. I think that that's the key. You can't just you can't be casual about it because if you're casual about it, then you don't take it seriously. Um, and then you then you you're both wasting each other's time, right? Um, so you know, I suggest that you put have a goal in mind. As you know, if you are looking for a mentor, you need to have a sense of what it is that you need help with, um, and find a person, and then put some structure around that. And time-wise, um, some a limit, a time limit on it, at least initially, to sort of keep yourselves on on track. So, in the in the case of the ATA program, for example, um, that program runs for six months, um, and it's up to the mentor and mentee to sort of to decide when, how frequently they're going to, you know, what, what, what topics they're going to address, how frequently they're, they're going to meet, but, and then there's the check-in periods uh, throughout, and then it wraps up, sort of runs, I think, usually from May um, to the, to October, and then, like, sort of October is when the ATA conference typically is, and then you have an opportunity to meet up with your mentee and mentor at that time. So, if you put, you need to put some structure around it, too, um, so again, so you take it seriously and you and you sort of make it a part of your of, of your schedule, right? Um, and I think as a as a mentee, the value is obviously is is um, the expert advice that you get from a working professional. Um, there's things that you can learn in a program. Um, uh, your your translation and your interpreting skills, you get great training that way. But there's other things that you can only get by by talking to somebody um, who has experience in the field right and ask those questions that 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 you, that you want to ask that you can't you can't look up in a book for example um and so it's you know it's like pure gold to have access to somebody who can do that for you um and as a mentor a mentor um at least for me it's it's just a sort of that connection to this next generation of of translator and interpreter that's exciting and invigorating for me get a lot of satisfaction giving back but i always end up learning something on myself, particularly on the technology side, right? So somebody that's that started back when I did, back when technology was not a big part of of translation yet. I mean, cat tools were just sort of starting to come into to, to formal use at that time. Um, right. I learned a lot from my, from my mentees about how to use technology. So I learned something every time. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. Steve, a lot of people who have been running businesses traditionally have learned everything in an industrious manner. Although fundamentals remain the same, how can mentorship create a barrier to success in a fast-paced, technology-focused business landscape like localization today? If you look at trends, business trends, in the past, everything was done in a very structured, very well-planned way. Even today, that's happening. But we also see that technology is changing the landscape. Technology is changing the trends in such a fast-paced way that things that were relevant two days ago or a year ago is no longer relevant anymore. That technology is not relevant. People may have lost interest in that product altogether. 
Right. So someone who grew up in 1970s or 80s learning about the um, how to operate businesses back then, can you mentor someone today to run their businesses the way they learn how to do it? Uh, or if you do that, does that create any type of barrier for the mentee because they're learning the old ways of doing things? No, I don't. You know, I, like, first of all, I, I, I don't think that, that mentorship can ever be a barrier. Right. I think that, right. you know, I think that just the act of the two generations, the two working together, I think, is always a positive thing. Um, technology changes and technology changes quickly, but I think the fundamentals of what we do and the fundamentals of of, of running a business are um, don't change that dramatically. I mean, the, the technology maybe speeds some things up. Um, and changes things slightly, but I think so a lot of the basics, it's it's really the soft skills part of things um, that um, those things can be hard to learn and um, technology is not going to help you with those, right? Technology can automate a lot of things, um, but I think just sort of the, the basics, the fundamental basics of translation, localization and interpreting and, and sort of running a business stay the same. So I do think that people from my generation can be very helpful to people that are coming up. Um, and where where that where, where that sort of relationship works in both directions is on the technology part. I mean, you right. talk about technology with your mentee, they bring that they might bring that into the conversation about, you know, here's this new tool, what that's a new tool, what do you think about that? And how can that be applied? And you talk through those things. And I think in that particular case, you know, the, the knowledge goes in both in, in both directions, right? It's bi-directional, but I don't think that, I don't think, I think mentorship um, is uh, never a barrier. Um, and I think it's also, it's a way for people of my generation to learn something also from the, the new generation coming up about how to apply and harness technology. I think that the, 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 um, the important thing, certainly that I always uh, tell my students and my mentees is that technology should not be a barrier or should not look at technology as a threat to your livelihood. You should look at it as, as something that you that, that's here that you can work with that can help you um, in your practice and is, you know, and, and that's something that you need to have that you need to sort of uh, be open to and, and sort of harness like the you need to run the technology, not let the technology run you. Um, the fact of the matter, you know, I also work very, very uh, um, for a long time, I've worked in standards and developing translation standards for the industry. And part of the problem that you have in standards development is, is, is similar to what you're saying right now, is that it takes a long time to develop a standard. Um, but technology changes so fast that if you make too many references to technology inside of a standard, by the time you're done, you've got to you've got to rewrite it. So you've just got to keep an eye on technology and know that it's always going to be a part of the equation um, in this business that in in this profession but not let it sort of dictate everything that you do so i think the fund the fundamentals of the work are always going to are going to stay the same the technology can help enhance those and how we do things and perhaps improve some processes and and and, and how we get things done but i think the, the fundamentals are the same so i think that the generations working together um is is, is something that that sort of enhances both careers, you know, both both the mentor and the mentee. Steve, while we're still talking about technology and, and you covered it quite well, how can you leverage technology to support and mentor people uh, beyond what we did traditionally? Yeah, as a business, for example, before we were just selling translation, word for word translation, uh, uh, transformation from one language to another. But now with technology, we've opened up doors for all kinds of different types of businesses, business models and so forth. How can we uh, mentor people to put that to good use? Well, I think I think that you 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 know as a mentor you need to again talk to people about technology and how technology can enhance your practice and help you right so not see uh, technology as a threat but see it as a tool right and so any technology that can help you sort of automate certain tasks um, that you know that are repetitive um, that that don't necessarily need your sort of your creative brain power. I think that those are things that people need to be looking at so that they can apply their human brains to the things that really require that. So I think I think the way that you that you um, leverage that is is just to talk to people about using the tech, looking at the technology and how the technology can help them and enhance their practice. Um, I, I tell people, you know, you know, machine technology is not machine translation technology is not going to take away your your 
business, your work, your livelihood, unless you let it, right? Um, it's another opportunity. People should see technology as an opportunity to offer other services or to enhance their skills to be able to um, to to do more, right? So I think it's all the way that, that in the way that you look at the technology and what the technology is doing. Also, to um, get involved in helping uh, develop technology or enhance technology from a from a language and a linguistics perspective. A lot of times, technology that we you know early on anyway, uh, technology that we had in our industry was not necessarily designed with translators and interpreters in mind or by translators and interpreters. So a lot of a lot of what we were seeing was sort of imposed and we sort of had to make do because the technology um, you know was developed without necessarily input from from the industry. Right. Um, so, so we've had to have some workarounds to deal with that. But so so I would say to people, you know, get involved, see where the technology developments are happening and get involved and see how you can help um, imp- have an impact on how that technology is developed. Stepping away for a moment from the microscope, uh, you know, and talk about macro trends. Do you think our industry is doing a good job in promoting mentorship today? Um, I think we're trying. Um, I, 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 I speak about it a lot. I have colleagues that I work with who are, we are all very passionate about it, but I don't think that it gets um, in the last few years. I, I've seen, you know, a, a, n- a number of initiatives and a lot of people are talking now about um you know the talent gap and what we need to do to get people trained up to make sure that they're entering they're entering the the um the industry in a in a successful way and i think that that's that's part of the evolution of the profession right we're finally starting to look before it was all about bringing business in and now we're looking at well what's the pipeline for for talent and how and we're looking more inward about how we can improve and how we can develop so i think we started to take some responsibility on ourselves as an industry to ensure that there is a pipeline of talent coming into the industry. So I think in the past, we haven't done it very well. I think over the last few years, I've seen some real trends. ALC has a program. Aaliyah has a program. Uh, Gala is doing a lot of work in that area. ATA, of course. Um, So I think that um, we haven't always done a good job, but we're getting better. Today, uh, more than ever before, there is a problem with labor and, and talent availability in every industry, including our own. Right. How does that put mentorship and training to the forefront of what we do as an industry um, in order to bring in more people to make sure that we can cope up with the volumes that are coming in in terms of translation localization? Well, I mean, we, you know, and that and that's part of what these initiatives are that you're that that, that you, we're seeing lately, where we're finally starting to take responsibility. We at LSPs the LSCs, language service companies that are that need the talent and, 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 and even direct clients who or customers who might have internal programs of their own. Um, we put a lot of pressure on academic institutions to ensure that people are trained up um, for us to plug directly into our into our program, into our businesses and be able to work right away. And that's not that's a little bit too much pressure. That's not what academia was designed for, right? That practical training part. So I think that we as uh, leaders in our industries and our companies need to take responsibility for some of this training as well. The academia, we can work with academia to help them to talk about the things that we need to see um, in programs that we would like to see in programs in order to make sure that that these uh, new graduates are coming out of programs with skills that we need. But then on top of that, we need to give them the practical training that they need. And that can either be through um, mentorship with individuals. It can be going back into the classroom uh, as and 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 teaching as an adjunct in a program, as, as I do and as many of my colleagues do, um, to bring that practical experience into the classroom to give students an idea of what it's like uh, in on the market in the real world um, applying this trade doing this work um, as opposed to in an academic environment and also um, i think it's very very important that companies start to offer either start to offer or continue to offer um, internships to give uh, students practical training to get a sense of what it's like to work in a company because those are things i mean you you can you can have training in class about project management or this is what it's like or you could um to do 
certain things or you can put time pressure on them to do certain things or you can create these scenarios, but it's still a scenario. Um, and you're still doing it within in an academic environment where ultimately if the if the project doesn't work, you know, there's no real world consequence for it, except for perhaps your grade in your class. Right. But I think it's important for students to see what it's like in the real world to problem solve and to work on a project and to juggle deadlines and things like that. And the only way they can do that is if we help them. Um, and so companies need to we need to put our money where our mouths are because, you know, we've we've been whining for a long time about this talent gap, but it's really contingent upon us to make to ensure that people have the skills that they need to to enter our companies and they can't get they can't get that unless we give them that experience ourselves because you cannot you can recreate parts of it in an academic environment but you can't really recreate the whole thing so i think that companies need to do a better job of of stepping up and offering those opportunities to students what is the role of the associations i know you talked about this earlier and professional groups in the language industry i mean ata has been active uh, woman localization has been pretty active uh, in terms of mentorship uh, are there other associations, other groups that could be helping in facilitating mentorship and connecting people in order to to get their skills up to speed? Well, I think that I think that all associations should offer something, you know, and I think many are trying as you, you mentioned, you know, women in localization and you you mentioned ATA who have these individual programs, which are terrific. But we all there's also outreach programs uh, to academia. Um, uh, you know, ETA has an academic outreach program where 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 uh, people go into schools and talk to students about job careers in uh, in translation and interpreting and in, in, in localization language services writ large um, to sort of start planting the seed in people's brains that there is there are careers to be had. Um, you know, ALC Bridge exists, the ALC program, which is is to connect. The idea behind ALC Bridge is to connect. Um, academia and industry and students with jobs, right? To sort of be kind of this clearinghouse of information about opportunities and translation and uh, interpreting um, services. Um, ALIA Exchange, uh, a European Language Industry Association is a program that's focused on uh, outreach to academia. So I think there's a lot of programs out there um, because businesses were finally starting to, to, again, as I said, to take responsibility for this gap that we see, we're starting to take a more um, active role in helping to train people, right? So ALC Bridge has um, a program where we'll send speakers into classrooms to talk to students about, about uh, uh jobs, careers in industry, ALEA Exchange does the same type of thing. Um, we're looking for opportunities with companies, with member companies of these uh, organizations to provide internships um, to students who, who might be interested and sort of posting those opportunities in place that are clear. So associations can do a lot, uh, you know, not only through their membership and offering opportunities to their members to sort of become mentors or mentees, um, but also to be a place where people that are interested in the industry can go to find information on, like, you know, if if, if you're, um, like you you asked a question earlier on, where do you go to find a mentor? Well, like if you're new to the industry and you don't, and you don't really have, maybe you're not in an, an academic program and you wanna try to look somewhere to find out how you can start this career or the training that you need, or just to get a sense of what it's like, the easiest, place to go is to an industry organization to at least point you in the right direction. So I think industry associations have the the role and sort of the responsibility to be at least clearing houses for this information where people can go to find what they need to then go out and to meet new people and give opportunities for 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 new people coming into the industry with interest in the industry to to meet people who are practitioners already um, or to figure out what they need to do to get trained. Um, the, you know, a, an association can do a lot more than an individual can do on that on that level. Steve, how can companies benefit uh, from mentorship activities? I mean, LLCs like yours and ours here. Uh, is there an inherent corporate objective that can be accomplished from investing into mentorship? Can we encourage our, our team members to to be involved more in mentorship and, and help other colleagues in the industry, whether they're new or they're just changing professions coming from outside the industry and learning about what we do here? 
Well, I think the value of of mentorship is, you know, as, as I said before, from just like sort of from the giving back part of the industry, which is I right. think that all professions need to do. But I think that, you know, part of it too is like if you if you have a mentor or 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 individuals in your organization are doing mentoring, I think that that's good for the, it's good for your if you've got staff members who are interested in being mentors, that's good experience for them. Working with other people, it helps them 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 build people skills and management skills, and also to sort of see what others are doing um, in the industry outside of your your organization. But also, you know, a, a mentorship or an internship can ultimately turn into you if you train somebody up through an internship or if or you or through a mentorship, you meet somebody who has skills that you need inside your organization. That's a good way to. To bring on new staff, right? So it's it's not completely um, altruistic, right? Um, to 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 provide mentorship. I think mentors get a lot out of it in corporate companies that mentor leaders in companies that mentor themselves bring. I think bring um, you know they 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 bring notice to their own companies, right? They um, you know by by doing the work and volunteering, but also. Um, it allows you to see other people out there in the world who are looking for working are looking to connect that ultimately might might turn into employees for your company one day. Um, and the same is true, obviously, with interns. Internships um, are typically a little bit more rigorous um, than a than a than a mentorship, um, but not necessarily so. Um, but an internship could easily turn into to um, a job for somebody, which is which benefits the business. And the same is true. Um, going into a classroom and teaching at a, in a university setting um, where you're meeting people who are eager to enter uh, the profession and you might find somebody in your in your in your student body who ultimately is a good fit for you and your company. So I think there's a lot that can be that that a, that a benefit a company can benefit other than just making sure that the people that come into the to the industry are prepared and are following best practices and are upholding you know, standards of practice and ethics and things like that, but also, you know, this possibility that that um, they might come to work for you. Steve, learning is a lifelong experience. We all have to learn every single day. How can mentorship present learning opportunities for mentors themselves like you and I? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, 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 as I said before, I think just the the sort of the, the new perspective, right? I mean, if you do this long enough, you've done things a lot right. for, you know, you know, for in a certain way that, that that's been successful for you and you sort of get, I won't call it a rut, but you sort of like get used to doing things a certain way. And it's it's as a mentor, working with people with fresh ideas um, and different perspectives can only be good, I think. You know, it sort of makes you rethink things. Um, it might it makes you say, well, maybe this isn't the best way anymore. Or maybe if I use this tool or this technology, what I'm, I could enhance doing these things. And these are things that not, that you don't necessarily learn on your own unless you're looking for it. But again, just like I have said of the mentees, they don't know what they don't know. Somebody like myself who's been working in the industry for so long, there's a lot of things that I don't, that I'm not exposed to because I've been working in a certain sector or I've been working in a certain way. Um, and it's just like when you bring in, when you bring in new staff, new and younger staff to your organization, it's the same. People with outside perspectives, people who have come from other organizations, um, refresh, that it either um, can help confirm things that you've been doing in a certain way, or it can help you think about doing things in a different way. And I think that, that you know, this mentorship uh, from a mentor perspective, it keeps your ideas fresh. Um, and I think it keeps your sort of, it helps you keep the pulse of what's happening in the industry. Um, and just sort of life, you know, in, in general, again, like and I keep coming back to technology because I'm so old school and technology is not how I was trained. Um, but you know, every day somebody tells me about a new piece of technology that could help me do something better. Um, and as I said, if, if if I can, if a piece of technology can help me do something more effectively and efficiently, that that then leaves me headspace to do creative things that I need to get done that I can only do with my, you know, my human brain, then why not? And um, it's only from talking to people about that and seeing how it works and seeing how it can be applied that you really 
learn. You reading about it isn't enough, right? You need for me anyway. I need to see like real life applications of things, um, and technology. When you're talking to younger people, people coming in, it just comes up naturally. It's just part of their of how they operate, part of their DNA, right? Of course they use technology. And somebody from my generation, that's not the first thing that we think of, right? A younger person is gonna think of how can technology help them get this job done? Um, sometimes I like that, sometimes I don't, but like it, like you don't know it until somebody talks to you about it. So I think that it's, um, that's a huge plus as a mentor. How should our industry think about mentorship going forward? Do you think we need to discuss this topic in more detail? Uh, I mean, we have a lot of forums where we talk about everything related to the industry, but mentorship doesn't get a lot of coverage. Well, I think I, I think that um, it, it doesn't get a lot of coverage. You know, it's so funny. Our industry is, um, you know, translation and interpreting. They always say if you can tell something is is a translation, or if you you know, or if you notice the interpreter or the interpretation, then you're doing your job wrong. In other words, we should sort of all blend into the background. And I think that we've taken that like too much to heart to the extent that we don't even toot our own horns sort of within the industry itself to try to draw more people in. So I think that we do need to talk about it more. We do need to talk about mentorship. We do need to talk about the responsibility. We need to talk about mentorship and training um, as a responsibility of companies and uh, veterans, longtime practitioners, and not just something that they could do or might be nice if they did. Um, we owe it to the industry and to ourselves to ensure that people coming in are trained and prepared. And academia can't do that by themselves, right? So we need to take some responsibility. And I think we finally are starting to. Um, for a long time, we have complained about this lack of talent. Well, it's not a lack of talent. It's a lack of training, right? There's people out there who want to do the work, who have the language skills to do the work, um, but but they need sort of like they haven't been trained enough in the business aspects of it or the project management aspects of it or in our particular processes and procedures in our companies. And you cannot expect somebody to come out of, a, of an academic program fully formed, right? Um, and I think that as I said before, we've been putting too much pressure on academia to do that for us. Um, and we need to um, finally, finally to step up and say, you know, we need to help with this. It's our responsibility too. We're not going to get what we need unless we engage. Um, and the best way to do that is through teaching and mentorship, I think. As we reach the end of this interview, I mean, this dialogue will continue, but today, uh, can you please share a few words of advice to leadership and LSPs, colleagues in the industry in general, or even folks uh, in localization management role on the buyer side, what would you recommend they should do to improve mentorship in our industry? I think the, the, the thing that everybody can do to improve mentorship in our industry is to become a mentor themselves. Put aside the time, volunteer your time, offer it to people um and a lot of a, a lot of times i think people don't think that they necessarily have anything to um offer maybe like maybe maybe it's too much pressure to think of yourself as a mentor but um it is invaluable for a new person coming into the industry to have the ear of somebody and the support of somebody um who's got experience, who's been working in the industry. And like, you might think that your day-to-day -day isn't anything that's particularly sort of earth shattering or earth moving, but you do know your industry, you know your job. Um, and these people coming in don't, don't know that yet. So everything that you have to share is a value. And like, there's, I can tell you, like, I've, I've had it before where I, I still call people, you know, and ask for help with things. You know, people that I've met through the industry, um, you know, 35 years on, I, I don't know everything. And I, I have particular people that I call if I have a technology question or if or if um, or if a new service is being offered that I'm not really familiar with and how do I do this? And um, so you just have to be open. So we're, we, we all like to talk about what we do, I think. Um, but I think we need to offer that explicitly to people um, to help them. So you go to your local university um, and offer to talk to a program, maybe they have a TNI program 
internally and talk to them about careers or about your own career. People love to hear about um, people who are interested in the industry, love to hear about uh, the, the sort of like, you know, what what brought you into the industry or like, you know, what was your 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 trajectory through the industry? All these different things. I mean, people are fascinated by that. Um, and just offering to go in to talk to a program, or even if there's not a program, maybe you've got a local high school that has uh, world language programs, or a local community college, or even a university. You, they don't have a, a TNI program, but they have a world languages program. Offer to go in and speak to them, to students about careers, you know, what they can do with their language. Um, I think that, that in in the U.S. right now, as I told said at the beginning of this of this of this podcast. Um, we have a need for language services in this country right now that um, that the language that the sort of the language education um, in the U.S. doesn't address necessarily. Like you know, the languages of immigration. I do a lot of work in languages of um, Southeast Asia and uh, East Africa, and you know, from all over. Um, and so you have a lot of heritage speakers in the U.S. who, um, who you know, maybe they, they probably have been doing translation and interpreting for their their uh, their their families informally um, while they've been here, um, since they've gotten here to help the families um, engage and to sort of get settled in the country and don't, but don't see it as a, a career themselves. We need to go and speak to those individuals at the high school level to let them know what it is that they can do and how, you know, you've been doing this work casually. Maybe you see your language as as a burden, but it's not a burden. It's something that you can make a career out of and maybe you should consider that. And I think that, um, you know, people don't know what they don't know. Um, and we need to do a better job of letting letting the world know, letting students know what all is possible with language and the careers that are available. Um, and so we need to take that upon ourselves. So I would tell, you know, leaders in this industry, um, whether you're running a company or you're an individual translator or interpreter yourself, um, to actively engage with students, to encourage them to enter the field, enter the profession and offer your help so that they can do that. Um, I think we I think it's I think we owe it to them and we owe it to ourselves and we can't just sit back and let somebody else do it for us. We need to do that for ourselves. That was a very interesting conversation. And uh, Steve, people who are new to the industry are looking for ways to learn about new areas of this industry. I'm sure they will find your insights and uh, perspective extremely helpful. I think we should all do our part, and I agree with you that uh, we should offer our expertise as mentoring opportunities for colleagues looking to grow in their careers. And with that, I thank you for your time and for sharing your experience with me today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I love this topic and I love that you um, were open to discussing it. Thanks very much for this. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. The translation and localization industry has evolved and grown both in size and in scope. New people constantly join this industry either as first career or have somehow ended in this industry due to their jobs. Seasoned industry veterans that have learned different aspects of this industry have an obligation to transfer their knowledge to colleagues who may find it challenging to look for information or do not have an opportunity to gain hands-on or on-the-job experience. At the end of the day, our industry is only as good as the people working in it. And now it is our time to make sure a translation and localization workforce is well equipped as in any other industry. That brings us to the end of this episode. Please share your thoughts and comments and suggest ideas or guests that you may want to hear from. As I always say, even if one person benefited from our today's conversation, then my goal is met. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice and give us a 5-star rating for this episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.